Good afternoon. This is James Campbell again and Inspired to Impact. Today I have with me Miss Jennifer Lloyd. How are you doing today, Jennifer? I'm good, thanks. Great. Well, if you would please tell me once again who you are, what do you currently do, and where do you currently work? So I'm Jennifer Lloyd. I teach English and interdisciplinary classes at Mount Vernon Presbyterian School. Okay, wonderful. Well, what I'd like to do, Jennifer, is start everyone off with the same question. And that question is simply, share with me your path to education. Okay, so my path, I guess, is a little winding. Maybe it diverts a bit. Okay. When I was... seven or eight, I played school, but I played real school. Like the kids had to bring scissors and paper and pens and pencils. And (laughs) just like they were going to real school and I would have real school in our, um, in our living room for the neighborhood kids. And so I guess that's when I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And, And I went to grad school to become a professor. Okay. And while I was in grad school, I taught English 101 and 102 at Clemson. And I finished my degree and I decided um, to go to work. Okay. And because the it was there was a glut of PhDs at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to go get a job and so then I worked oh my goodness, um 15 years. 90 no, yes, 15 years. Sorry, 1990 okay. to 2005 um, in the IT field. And I was a technical writer and a project manager and instructional designer, trainer, those sorts of roles. Mm-hmm. And one day I was working on a document mm-hmm. and I felt like I'd written that same document 15 times ahead. Again, and I heard a ad for DC hiring um, teachers through an alternative, you know, certification. Interesting. And so I applied to do that, and they needed elementary school teachers, and I really wasn't a good fit okay. for elementary school, so I didn't get that. But it's still, I started to research where are the other alternative certification programs, and so I was able to get a fellowship for George Washington University. Okay. And I taught at uh, Montgomery in Montgomery County Public Schools in Maryland, mm-hmm. and I got my MED from GW and. The rest is history, history. so to speak. <laughs> so, seven, eight-year-old, you were teaching in your class, in your house. Was there a teacher or someone that actually influenced you to become a teacher? Because I can't imagine just a seven-year-old saying, hey, we're going to teach. I'm going to bring your supplies. You don't have your supplies. I'm taking off. Was there a particular teacher that you remember who influenced you to? I think it was probably the teacher of that uh, when I was, so I think I was eight. Uh-huh. And it was, we were living in Clemson. My father was in Vietnam. Okay. And I was in the third grade. And Mrs. Rotten. Mm. R-A-U-T-O-N, I believe, is the way you spelled her name, um, was my teacher. And I just remember this was the grade where I learned the multiplication tables. Mm -hmm. I learned a whole lot more about spelling and writing and reading. And she would read to us every day from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, and I loved that. Okay. I just absolutely loved that. And we had spelling bees and... I remember it being hard, okay, but liking it. And mm-hmm. so that summer was when I had school. When okay. I made when I made my school. 
And, okay. <laughs> and this one neighborhood child came. I remember she came faithfully. Okay. And her parents actually bought the school supplies, which I thought was amazing. Okay. <laughs> Why would you have this eight-year-old teach your six-year-old or five-year-old or something? That's, that's <laughs> called summer camp. I think it is. I think it was. Oh, gosh, let's get rid of this kid. We need her out of the house for a while. <laughs> she can go. Excellent. Yes. Oh, wow. So you were in, you were a professional for 15 years. Yes. And you got into the classroom. Do you remember what that first year was like? Do you have any horror stories or any stories of success from that first year? Oh, gosh. Um, I remember being intimidated because it was a it was a public school. Okay. So it was really it was it was big. Okay. Um, gosh, I don't know. 3,000, 4,000 kids oh, or something wow. like that. Uh-huh. So big. And I just remember being really loud. Yes. You know, the first, when you walk in and, and the kids are changing classes and the whole bit and just like, oh, how yeah. do I do? <laughs> I don't know. And then um, having to be called Miss Lloyd. Okay. Right? Because I haven't been called Miss Lloyd. That's my mom. <laughs> I don't, right? they don't really call you that in the business world. Right, yes. <laughs> so, um, and I taught ninth grade honors, but I also taught ninth grade English to kids who were probably reading on a fourth or fifth grade level. Mm. And I just remember the the struggle that I had. Right. And I liked the the lower, the other group, the smaller mm-hmm. group who had less skills a whole lot better than I liked the, <laughs> the, um, the honors kids. Yes. <laughs> because, because at least they were honest with me. Yes. You yes. know, and, and that sort of thing. So, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was the, I just... I was in. I got overwhelmed by all the paper. Right. You know, I was always very prepared, but the amount of work that had to be done, uh-huh. you know, with the lesson after the lesson was over, <laughs> to deal to do yes. with, to deal with all the things that you had taught and asked the kids to do, and that's when I believed that you know they had to produce something at yeah. the end of every every day every, every day, <laughs> and you had to grade everything. And I had to grade everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I started, you know, just uh, carrying papers in my car. Okay. And they just took rides. <laughs> <laughs> the papers are doing more miles than you are. Yes, exactly. So how do you handle, how would you encourage someone who's new to the profession, who's dealing with this idea of they have a ninth grader, yep. but they're reading on a fourth grade or a third grade level? How, do you, how would you help them or what advice would you give them to deal with that? I think that you have to find something that the student wants to read. You mm-hmm. have to really find something that's interesting. But it can't be, um, a, I don't know, like a kindergartner book or something. I mean, you don't want it. It's uh-huh. got to be a real book. Yeah. Um, and, there, and there are those out there. And so you just have to give them mm-hmm. choices and help lead them right. to the to the right book. And I think that there um, that that's the important thing. And to I think reading aloud helps them too because okay. they because then they can see the pleasure that comes from reading and they like I found that they they generally liked it. Mm-hmm. They were, um, I taught to kill a mockingbird okay. that year and we watched the movie and read the play version rather than the novel and they had a really good time figuring out what's different 
mm. right? And then making you're making evaluations about it. Do they like that difference or not? Did that change it? And that sort of thing. And so I think when you empower them to to make choices and to find something that they like. And then to be able to get them to do, to think with that and mm-hmm. to use, use the content there and the ideas that they get from it to do something else. Okay. Then, then they start to see the value mm-hmm. in what it is. So, okay. Yeah. So let me ask you, how long have you been teaching again? How many years have you? Um, I started 2005. 2005. Okay. So about 13 yeah. 13 years now? Right. 13? Well, 13 in undergrad, I mean, in secondary schools. Mm-hmm. So I taught for two years as a, uh, in grad school. Okay. All right. Can you think of, do you have like a success story that you can share with us? Maybe one particular student or one particular year that was, you had a lot of success. So you feel very good, felt very good about that year? Oh, let me think. Let me think just a second. Well, the, I, my very first independent school was a tiny, is a, I don't know how big it is now, but it was mm-hmm. a tiny school called Berry School in Silver Spring, Maryland. Okay. And it's a Montessori in the lower grades. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle and upper school, it's expeditionary and hands-on and mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so I started to teach there, I want to say 2008, um, 2000. 2009, right. something like that. And so my first ninth grade, I taught humanities. Okay. And so this was my first venture into interdisciplinary, um, true interdisciplinary. I'd used it in English classes before because I feel like you have to give context okay. for novels, especially if some of the themes are relevant to, to a historical time period or right. something. And so it was important to me. So anyway, so I'm teaching American studies, humanities, and my first group of kids, and we're sitting around a table... And I have this kid, I have these groups of kids where we, oh, so we had read the yellow wallpaper. Okay. And at the end of the yellow wallpaper, the husband faints because his wife has gone totally crazy and she is walking around the room. Mm -hmm. It's a long and involved story about um, sort of like... Um, postnatal depression and um, and the bed breast cure and not being able to get and how that just makes you worse. Uh-huh. So um, anyway, so and he faints. Well, I had a group of boys who tried to say that um, she killed him. Okay. And so just like no, that's not in the text. We're, and they said, oh no, it's it's there. He see he's and she's just walking over him. So why would she just walk over him if he fainted? Mm-hmm. You know, she would be concerned about him. But would she be concerned about him? What's going on here? And so they said, so I want to take, we want to take a vote. <laughs> we want to vote to see if he's, and I said, well, this is not a democracy. And, and critical analysis is not a democracy. You can't vote. They <laughs> said, yes, we can. We can vote on anything mm-hmm. to make it true or not. And so it was very funny, and they voted, and I don't know, half the class, and I said that. And then I had some other kids who were, like, rolling their eyes and yeah, just, okay. you know, totally. Well, skip until, um, when was I in D.C.? I was in D.C. just a month or so ago, and I met one of those former students for lunch. Okay. And she was one of the eye rollers. And But the first thing that she wanted to talk about was that day. Get talking up. about that and so how many years ago was that she's wow. now in grad school getting her degree in library science yeah and when she got her undergraduate degree in english at saint mary's and they read the story again she <laughs> she, 
she had flashbacks and okay. she said, felt very sorry for me. <laughs> but I thought, so that's, I don't know. It's just that I just want to have some memorable moments, right. you know, and then I hope those, those boys didn't ever try to vote again on okay. what text says. But. Okay. Now, what you just shared with me, yep. I have two questions that came out of that. The first question I want to just ask of you. When do you, how do you balance this idea of student voice? Because it sounds like you gave your students an opportunity to have mm-hmm. a voice. Of course. But at the same time, some things have to be teacher-led. You have to direct the flow of it. Right. So it seemed like they were totally off-key, but you wanted to give them that space to share. Right. But then you wanted to go down the road. How do you balance student choice between, student voice and also guiding them in a direction that they right. need to go in? Well, if the direction they're going in is wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I have to, I have to um, pull them along to go to, down a different path. Okay. Or if they're starting to say something that's um, disrespectful or okay. offensive and that sort of thing, I it's my job mm-hmm. to do that. Um, I like all teachers. You have a goal for the day, and you try and you want to you want to try to meet that goal. You're trying to, but. If that's not going to happen because the students have figured out something else that's much more interesting, then we'll go there, and and I'll do that. Um, You know, it's a... I mean, I don't want to... I mean, it sounds silly, um, but in a a literature class, if they want to do algebra, I'll kind of say no. (laughs) That's not what we're doing here. (laughs) The story of X and Y. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But, but, you know, I, I can usually make anything that students want to do fit back to what we're working on, you know, but I, it's, um, but I think it's important that they know that if they are misreading to, to step in and to, and to stop it. And, you know, they were joking around more than anything, but, okay. (laughs) But I allow, but you know, they're ninth graders. Right. I like, I know ninth graders. (laughs) I know them well. You also mentioned interdisciplinary. Yes. Can you give me your definition of interdisciplinary learning or teaching and maybe give an example of what that might look like in your space? Sure, sure. So um, I think of interdisciplinary learning is that when you're looking at, when you're using different content areas or different disciplines, Mm -hmm. say um, science, environmental science and literature, um, and you're trying to sort of answer the same question through those two disciplines. So, for instance, this past year I taught ecological rhetoric with an environmental scientist um, in our school, environmental science teacher in our school. And we were looking at what is the ultimately is how how can we have, let me think of a way to phrase this, let's say how can we protect an ecosystem, Okay. Right. Or how, what can we do to encourage others to protect ecosystems? You know, those was, that was kind of like the ending question. Mm-hmm. And we started with this look at Thoreau and Walden and a walk, and we walked through woods and okay. we did a whole transcendental experience that would start us off in the idea of being a part of nature and looking at the way nature the way transcendentalists did because that was kind of the they were the first ecological okay yeah starting the ecological movement in the in the United States and so I just think that you're trying to get to the same point you're using different disciplines to get to answer that question or to get to that same idea excellent thank you mm-hmm. thank you 
Now, there are a lot of strategies. There are a lot of um, buzzwords around education, a lot of ways of teaching, a lot of ways of learning. Is there a particular strategy is like a go-to for you that you can always just go into your back pocket, pull it out, and you've had success with it? What is it, and how do you use it with your uh, students? Oh, okay. The loaded question. It is a loaded question. I see. I have to give my secrets away. Oh yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll teach a poem, mm. and because I am not afraid to teach a poem that I've not analyzed before. Okay. Because I I like to anal- I like to see what the kids are doing with it and I do at the same time that if something's not working, I can find a poem that'll relate to almost anything we're talking about and we'll put it up and we'll read it and we'll take it apart and we'll figure it out. Okay. And then yeah, so that's kind of my that's kind of like the skill with the content sort of things. I'm also um, so back way back in the 90s when I was okay, teaching. Back in the 90s. I, the <laughs> good old days. Then, the good old days. When I was teaching at uh, Clemson, there was this big movement about um, feminist pedagogy. Mm-hmm. And, and along with constructivism and um, Piaget's development. And so uh, this idea where you decentered the authority in the classroom, right? Okay. And so and that's those are the feminist type words that you would talk about it. And so you would remove yourself mm-hmm. and it's it's what we do now right. right and it's what we know now when we do student when we talk about learner centered but the whole constructivist idea where we're giving kids getting kids to work together to create something right. to to create their own knowledge mm-hmm. from something else um that's exactly what we're doing now when we do PBL and IBL and that sort of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. right? So so I feel like the things that come in my back pocket and my toolkit are things that I believed way back in the 90s were really important. Right. And when I went to teach in the public schools, couldn't use because of this testing and all the things. Yes. And then now, these past 10 years that I've been out of public school... You know, I've been able to do that. Wonderful. So. Wonderful. Well, I have one more question okay. for you. And I do appreciate your time today. Oh, sure. I'll just let you know that. If you had one word you would use to describe yourself, what would that word be and why? Oh, dear me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I'm going to say creative. Okay. And I'm going to say creative um, in... So I have a friend who would say that everyone is an artist, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And um, and I appreciate that sentiment. I don't, I don't have this artistic skills mm-hmm. necessarily, but I can make something out of nothing. And... <laughs> That's creative. And, I would go and with I it. feel like in the classroom, you um, good teachers are creative because they need to be able to spin on a dime and be able to to change gears with the students want to go there or to, to be two steps in front of the kids to make sure that you know where they're going is mm-hmm. is, is a good place and, and that sort of thing. So I think that takes a certain amount of creative energy. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, I thank you so much for spending some of your sure. summer with me and look forward to hearing more about the great things you're doing at Mount Vernon. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.